If you speak to leading figures in AI, there was a couple of cautionary tales that go back well over a decade. They would say what not to do with AI is plug it into the internet. Don't make it open source until we have safeguarding measures in place, right? That was one thing. So what did we do? We plugged it into the internet. <laughs> so that's one. The other was do not teach it to code. The ability to self-replicate. What have we done? Now I think it's almost 50% of all code on GitHub is now artificially intelligent wow. created. It's 50. done by 50% wow. and that's in seven month period. I mean, that's insane. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. And on today's episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Oli Yonchev. Oli, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Amazing. So we met a couple months ago. Yes. Part of an amazing panel that we did at, at Soho House talking about AI and yeah. the, the future landscape of technology. And obviously it's something which you have a really unique perspective on, having always worked with really forward-looking technologies, understanding how those apply to the world of marketing and getting out messages there. So let's start with that at the moment. AI, blockchain, Web3, big, big <laughs> umbrella terms, big, big sort of, um, you know, sectors with a lot of confusion around them. Yeah. A lot of uh, uh, skepticism, a lot of optimism. How are you finding things right now in this uh, era of lots of, of funding and lots of people pouring into the space? How do you see things? That's a hell of a loaded question, right? Pick up the future and just give us a take. Um, Absolutely. Easy it, to do. Right? It's really interesting. I, I, I think there's a universal truth that um, <clears throat> the world is changing at an accelerated rate. Um, and, and I'm just personally really passionate about technology. You know, I was a benefactor. I've worked in marketing for over a decade. And I was a benefactor of social media being a new thing. This thing that connected us in new ways, created new possibilities for companies and brands, new opportunities. Um, and then I look at the landscape where we're at today and there, there seems to be a couple of camps. The last few years, um, the, the rebrand of crypto, the mm -hmm. rebrand of blockchain as Web3 mm -hmm. became, uh, you know, uh, a commonly used term as certain words came with baggage. <laughs> So you have that emergence and then you have more recently the emergence of AI, which is not really an emergence because AI has been powering leading technology for well over a decade. I think the term was artificial intelligence was coined back in the 70s. Okay. So we're talking, this is not a, a new phenomenon, but what is new is, and I think it was really the, the, the accelerated adoption of ChatGPT, which was kind of almost like a cult moment mm. that... I suppose, paved the way for a new era that we call the generative era. So if I, I'll speak on AI first, then I'll dive into blockchain. So AI, the way I think about AI for the last decade, um, in marketing specifically, it's been used to curate and automate things. Um, if you look on your social media page, it's different to mine mm -hmm. because your algorithm, your AI algorithm is curating content that's really relevant to you. If you go on Netflix, you will watch different things to me and be recommended different things. If you go on Amazon, the products that you are served are different to mine. All of these things, and AI has been really good at rationalizing huge amounts of data and personalizing experiences for you. What's really new and is this generative era. And generative AI is the ability to create new things that, has n that have never existed before. 
And, you know, we often sort of trivialize this through the the interface of a chatbot. Because I remember when, like, ChatGPT came out, everyone was going, let's do a song in the style of Eminem about cats. Have you been looking at my ChatGPT <laughs> yeah. history? It was like, we really, like, trivialized because we were just discovering. And the way I liken it is, when remember when we used to first use social media, you'd go on someone's, like, Facebook page and you'd comment on them and you'd say, hey, you want to hang out later? That would be, like, the interactions. So we're just getting to grasp with how we interface with these technologies. And a lot of the user cases have been super novel. But I think it actually uh, really underestimates the true capabilities. So what's effectively happening now is, you know, tons of data sets are being rationalized and new things are being created in real time. And this transforms industry. This transforms professional services. Uh, it means we now have new capabilities that we couldn't have. So I'm really excited about that. Adjacent to this, what we talked about is Web3. Mm -hmm. So Web3, I categorize as... Technologies emerging from the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So think crypto, think, you know, Bitcoin, think NFTs. Um, and then you have more immersive digital experiences. Think the metaverse and not necessarily Zuck's dystopia of we're going to wear headsets and be in these boring sort of virtual worlds <laughs> where we, we sort of interact with one another and lose all humanity. Mm -hmm. Um that's how I tend to rationalize Web3 as a, as a uh, <clears throat> I suppose, as a space. And the way I see AI and Web3 coming together, I think it's the foundation of new possibilities for the future of the internet. Mm -hmm. And that's how I sort of break it down and think about these technologies. They will interact with one another. It's not either or. I think both of them have real world applications and we're seeing it across you know blockchain predominantly in finance mm -hmm. a lot of the user cases um ai across absolutely everything so yeah i'm a long way of saying i'm really fascinated um with technology no amazing <laughs> and i think it's so useful to to get that that view on it because i think there is so much misinformation there is so much confusion about what the these very broad terms actually mean and what that means for people interfacing with that type of technology one thing i'm i'm really fascinated by when we do look at conversational ai is i find that whenever we have a, a really amazing new release um in terms of of technology often it's hardware whether it's you know, smartphones coming out, yeah. but, but it could be on the social media side mm -hmm. of things, where there's an amazing honeymoon period that follows that release where people are just like, this is amazing. I can connect with people, yeah. I can get information. And this honeymoon period seems to last a decent bit of time. And then as we start um, assessing and really looking at the impacts and ramifications of that technology, then sometimes you get a bit of skepticism. Actually, is social media good for us, for example? All the yeah. things that we've heard before. I feel like with ChatGPT, that honeymoon period was like three weeks. And then people start saying, wait, hold on, this is going way too quickly. This is going way too far. Why do you think that honeymoon period was so short in contrast to other you know, technological innovation that we've seen? And what does that mean for the future of conversational AI? Yeah, I, I think without stealing a phrase from like Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> <great res with, laughs> with great power becomes great responsibility. I think you just don't, what, what you had is a couple of factors. So people that have, have, a real, have really pioneered artificial intelligence across the world, um, a lot of the leading experts almost became existentialists. Mm. You know, there's a lot of narratives around 
hold the horses. And if you speak to leading figures in AI, there was a couple of cautionary tales that go back well over a decade. They would say what not to do with AI is plug it into the internet. Mm. Don't make it open source until we have safeguarding measures in place, right? That was one thing. So what did we do? We plugged it into the internet. <laughs> so that's one. The other was do not teach it to code. Mm. The ability to self-replicate. What have we done? Now I think it's almost 50% of all code on GitHub is now artificially intelligently wow. created. It's 50. done by 50%, wow. and that's in seven-month period. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, so you start to say, okay, things are moving very, very fast. And even if you don't believe necessarily in the existential risks... So an existentialist will say AI could become a problem because we're going to use it to solve problems and often humans are the problem. Mm. Climate crisis. You go to a machine and say, how do we solve the climate crisis? And if you extrapolate long enough, it means eradicating humans. Mm. <laughs> like, and I could see I could see it being a, you know, a fairly uh, effective solution. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not the one any of us want. No, but of course. Probably highly effective. So <laughs> you kind of go through this. So you have leading voices and figures that everybody respects, warning of the perils. And then what you have is like this just mass adoption. And the way I look at it is if you think of every macro factor right now, mm being there is more capital being flooded into AI development, AI applications, deep tech than any time in history. You have the entire startup community building in this set space. You have every kid in their bedroom mm. playing and interacting with these applications. The reason the honeymoon period, I suppose, ended was people started to go, wow, I can now see user cases being built daily. So when mm -hmm. I think about technology, we used to talk in months. Things would change in a month. Now things change in days. Yes. And I think that's where, you know, people like me still, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full type of person. So I look at these things and go, how do we take advantage of the opportunity? Mm -hmm. What can I learn? And the more I learn, I then start to maybe fall into this, okay, there are some risks here play out a number of these scenarios and go, okay, we probably should be cautious. I've never seen an industry call for self-regulation like AI. Yes, not that's at the it, speed. That's it, not at the yeah. speed. Everyone in the industry going, regulators. <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, this is new. <laughs> it's not yeah. usually very common in any industry. So, yeah, I, I think honeymoon period is a, a tale of two halves. You have leading figures that... Um, speak about the potential unintended consequences and the power mm -hmm. of this. And and Sam Altman, you know, founder of OpenAI, he had this really harrowing quote back in front of Congress. And he said, you know, um, his quote was that uh, this is one of the greatest existential risks to humanity. That was his quote. Then, you know, there was a survey back last year from 700 AI professionals. Mm -hmm. These are leading academics, leading professionals, and over 50% of them believe that there was a 10% chance or greater that this would contribute to the annihilation of mankind. That's the equivalent of me saying to you, you know, everyone who makes cars, 50% of the people who make cars, so there's a 10% chance that when you get in, you're going to kill yourself. Like, that is like... Mind-blowing. Really, yeah, it really is mind-blowing. Yeah. So you have all these kind of big data points, and then you just have playing on ChatGPT and going, oh, this is cool. Mm. We can now do our LinkedIn copy. Or like, So I think it's a tale of two halves between all the trivial things that we're seeing on like a mass consumer level 
and then the unintended potential consequences if this technology becomes powerful or continues to accelerate at the rate it is. Mm. So um, hence why we're in this sort of confusing long slash short, short honeymoon period. Yeah, uh, amazing. No, so, so many interesting points within that. So thank you for that. And, and a couple of things which um, really occurred to me, I think your point about the um, pace of innovation and how it changes the way that we would normally think about that time frame. So for example, you know, release of the television, we have seven, eight years to be like, oh, we can put this in our house. This is great. We can enjoy entertainment this way. Yeah. Smartphones. Now it's like that, that rate of innovation is at such a speed that I feel like as you know, we don't understand how to integrate these technologies yeah. in a helpful way that, that will allow us to get our head around them to really make those use cases valuable. And because the, the rate of innovation is increasing exponentially, possibly our ability to ever integrate these technologies out, you know, unless you are AI yourself, gets quite, you know, gets quite challenging. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point, the latter around AI itself. There's a, a lot of thinking around, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. We're only going to innovate our way out of the challenges. Mm -hmm. We're not going to stop the challenges. If you think of some of the unintended consequences of social media, the impact mm -hmm. it's had on mental health, young people are a sort of the attention crisis we all go through, phone addiction, the impact on how news is decimated, you know, how it's impacting and influencing politics. You think of all these things, then you layer in just this fact that it's going to be very difficult to discern what's real and not. In the yes. next, in already today, it's not, it's not very easy to discern what's real and what's fake. Go one year from now, I can take three seconds of your voice and I can synthesize it to a point where it's pretty, mm. you know, by large, it's it's you, right? Mm -hmm. Six months time, it'll be indistinguishable. Yes. So suddenly that, that means like, what are the consequences of that? Um, you can do some cool things around your content. That's what we're talking about. But really... Best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. but really go... Um, well, our security protocols around our lives aren't sufficient anymore. Any voice authentication is done and finished as a technology. Yep. Okay, I could say something you lead, uh, you know, a really successful, but I could say something that's really damaging to your company. I'm a competitor and I could create something where you're spouting hate, you mm. know, like these things are real. So suddenly we end up with all these challenges in the near term, yes. even when we don't go as far as, general intelligence which Absolutely. is what the existentialist fear is like creating something smarter than us that's ten thousand times our intelligence we're basically ants mm. we're, an we're, we're what an ant is to us right that's what it becomes so we don't even have to go that far you mm. can go narrow ai which is what we can currently do how is that going to impact things and i think that's why everyone's like okay hold yes. on and the more you learn the more you start to go hmm and that's that's the journey I've personally been on. Uh, totally, and I yeah. see it, and I genuinely believe. Uh, and it's interesting to hear your time frame. I've been saying within twelve months, but six. You know, you're, you're far more clued in to this than I am. We will have a societal crisis of consciousness where we're unable to determine what is real and what is not. And I think if you are of a mindset where you can handle the fact that we we might not be able to distinguish this, and for a lot of people. You know, when you have been thinking critically about what you've been consuming, these are questions you've been asking for yeah. years anyway. But I think at a, a, a general level, there is such a risk that people will not be able to handle the fact that 
whether what they're seeing is authentic, whether it is, whether it has been, um, you know, simulated or created in that way. Like, I, I genuinely think it, it's going to be a, a real struggle for a lot of people to get their heads yeah. around. How, how and, do we, how do yeah, we help? And, and you know what? This is where we, we started this by saying blockchain, Web3. This is where Web3 actually mm. has a real solution in the world. So mm. the utopia that Web3 promises is a fairer internet, one that gives power back to the user. That means you get to control your own data that democratizes, you know, asset classes, companies, how we form and make decisions. So this is like the the fairer internet that it, the blockchain promises, a more transparent internet. If you think of the technology where one of the biggest immediate challenges we're going to have to face is verification, what's real and what's mm. not. The blockchain has a very real role in that safeguarding, you know, how that manifests, how that forms. I think what we've we've seen in the last few years, we had all this enthusiasm around blockchain and it's almost been narrowed into, into crypto that has meant that we haven't seen other user cases that have been really transformative in the mm. world. Not in the same way AI. So it's almost hit a bit of a stalemate. Mm -hmm. What I will say is we work with a lot of exceptional minds in the space and regardless of enthusiasm, regardless of that hype honeymoon cycle, people are building. Yes. People are building the fabrics. And I see a world in the very sort of near future where these technologies, these possibilities have to come together to provide the solutions that are going to be required to innovate, innovate our way out of some of the challenges we face. Super interesting. And I just want to go back to a point you made mm -hmm. previously regarding um, regulation. Yep. So obviously at a governmental level, um, I think one of the biggest challenges to mass adoption within blockchain technologies and more especially crypto was you know failure to have clear regulation yeah. failure to have you know good safeguarding of, of consumers in that way um so one be great to get your view on how that's um progressing but two if we fail to regulate crypto how the hell are we regulating ai <laughs> yeah but it's really interesting so the, the, the crypto thing is um regulators uh you know are usually pretty measured in their approach. And if I, if I think if you go back through the history of regulation, it took around around a decade to get real solid, robust safeguarding in place for credit cards. Mm. It took a decade. Put that into context. So this idea and the accelerated adoption of crypto, combine that with internet culture. Combine that with a few bad actors in the space, mm. exploiters, and suddenly you just had this hot pot of chaos that meant, you know, it undermined the potential positives of the emergent space, right? So from a regulation standpoint, I think regulation in change has a hugely important role. If I go one step further to AI, you tend to have three camps. You have, you know, the US that are mm. usually regulate, legislate after the fact. Mm -hmm. So they seem to be the loosest. You have the EU that have put forward a bill the EU Act um, that's got overwhelming support. And this in AI covers everything from how, um, you know, should we allow facial recognition in public spaces? Like, what does that mean? So think of um, when you go to a checkout till, there's machine learning that is used mm -hmm. to understand what you're putting in your basket, etc. So a lot of this technology is already in society and AI is being used to rationalize this, this sort of visual data. So there's new regulation, regulation on how that can be used in public. There's new regulation around like AI algorithms on social media. Mm -hmm. What can they, what can and can't they do? So if you take AI in social media, you go, one of the legislations is not being able to use facial recognition, uh, facial recognition to serve you 
relevant content. So if you're happy, I may serve you a type of ad mm -hmm. that is geared towards someone who's happy. If you're sad, I may serve you an ad that's geared towards. Wow. So there's like regulation to safeguard there. Then you have the whole copyright sort of arena. We need a new world order now for what's, what can be copyrighted and not. I can go on to a AI application like Dalai 2 or Midjourney. Mm -hmm. I can make a prompt that's very specific, that's ownable by me, and I can create new things that is drawing from previously IP protection, protected images, videos, etc. So suddenly you start to extrapolate and go, okay, well, we need a new world order for copyright. Mm. So legislation, legislators, regulators have a huge challenge ahead of them. And then you have the UK that I think is actually really well placed in the whole because we tend to be the most diplomatic. Yes. We're now, I suppose, we are outside of the EU, so I don't think we will... Uh, I think we'll take the stance of pro-innovation mm -hmm. and we'll not put safeguarding measures that will inhibit or put us at a disadvantage uh, from an economic standpoint. Because um, I don't, I think that's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. For me, the genie is out of the bottle. If one country decides to have... A, so one of the ideas around, like, how do you safeguard against AI? People say tax. Nine tax companies, 95%. Well, then suddenly you're no longer an AI company or something else. Yeah. This never works. Suddenly Dubai decides that they're quite happy for you to be zero tax in their state. So you're, we're so never going to... hydro effect, yeah, right? It'll just continue to pop up. It's just going to move. So yeah. I am of the belief that the, the UK has a really good position because A, it's diplomatic voice in the world, but B, a really balanced view to how do we not mm. stifle innovation, but how do we take... Um, take the challenges in front of us seriously and start to put the basic framework and principles in place. So I, I'm quite confident that UK has a potentially a leading voice in the world around AI and also we've seen some positive steps around crypto regulation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if that answers. I think I went no, off no, on a no, bit of tangent, but it's, it's, no, it's, it's a big question. Useful. It's a super big question, right? How do we take on regulation? I think regulation has an important role Um foundationally but it's a very difficult challenge yes. and how do you find that for uh, flight story and flight fund in particular yep. how do you find that the you know assessing the ever-evolving landscape of regulation influences either the way that you are advising your, your businesses yep. and flight story or looking at investments on the flight fund side yeah so our, our philosophy if I, if I distill down our mission at flight story it's keeping brands at the forefront of what's possible mm -hmm. and for me that often means trying new things so what we have to do first and foremost is have an internal philosophy and culture that is obsessed with new things, rationalizing them, understanding them and integrating them into our work and our clients' work. So that's kind of a, a foundational piece. How then we advise, I think we split us, I suppose, our interest into two parts. We do, how do we support enterprise companies? I think for the next five years, large organizations are going to be grappling with how do we become Web3 enabled, how do we become AI enabled? How do we evolve to ensure that we safeguard, protect, and set ourselves up for the future? Mm -hmm. So we try and come up with solutions that aid larger companies. And really we start by being pragmatic. Two things can be true. Things are gonna change faster than anyone else realizes, but things are also gonna move very slowly. Like both those things tend to be true. <laughs> yeah, It's the same reason, think of all the innovations we have, yet British Airways can't get me like my boarding pass on my phone directly off the app. Like these, <laughs> you could have these technologies, doesn't mean that everyone's going to use yes. them. So I, I'm looking at two things. Enterprise, how do we safeguard them and help them and consult through that? And then startups, how do we counsel them through the inevitable change that is going to happen through 
regulation. And that starts with us being really well-educated, bringing in great advisors. We uh, pointed to our non-exec team, a guy called Mo Galda, mm-hmm. a leading pioneer in AI, former chief business officer, uh, former chief business officer of Google X, which mm-hmm. is the innovation factory, wrote a book a few years ago called Scary Smart, which uh, again lays out the principles and will have you up at night thinking about AI's potential. And he's really been brought in to help us and our clients around some of those threats, the opportunities, and how we should be thinking about being not only a leading voice in AI, but an ethical one. Mm. When it comes then to investments and flight fund, um, our principle is to look at just interesting technologies that we think has a billion dollar potential. And what you have in AI right now is you have a lot of deep tech, people building the large language models, building the infrastructure to support continued development. AI is really um, power intensive, really is like requires a lot of capital expenditure. So that's an area that as a new fund, we're not capitalized in Mm. a way to sort of support those types of businesses. I was just reading, I think OpenAI spends 700 grand a day on powering (laughs) ChatGPT, is that correct? Yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's something like that. Or seven mil. So yeah, yeah, and and to give you some context, it's around fifty times more expensive for you to put a query into Bard, which mm-hmm. is Google's mm-hmm. version of ChatGPT, than it is a Google search in terms right. of processing power. That is, will come down over time, but it's very expensive wow. right now to process and generate new things as opposed to doing a search query, which is organizing the internet using AI algorithms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, a, there's a nuance there. There's creating new things and generating the processing power required to do that versus the processing power required to organize the internet. Yes. So they're different things. But yeah, going we, we're really focused on um, the application layers. So we have interests in marketing because it's it's a big part of our business. But we also have interests in how AI is really going to affect us in healthcare. Mm. Healthcare is fascinating. Some of the things and the the uh, uh, healthcare is an interesting one because healthcare by large moves very slowly. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it has to if you sure. think of the scrutiny and the the diligence that you have to put on new innovations in healthcare. It's really important that there are safeguard measures in place. But we're really interested in how AI is going to impact healthcare. And a lot of our investments have been in sort of health tech, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, as a consequence of that. So that's how we split our fund. But when we talk about supporting organizations, we we look at enterprise, helping them through change. And how do we, with um, startup, the startup community, how do we help them be a, a leading ethical and responsible voice? But also, how do we help them distill their story and user case in a really simple, compelling way? Because what you're having now is, and you'll know this from the startup community, it's easier than ever to start anything. Mm-hmm. We can build teams, particularly with AI. Teams, Tiny teams of less than 10 can achieve things that would have taken a thousand people before. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's mind-blowing. So the, the entire economic infrastructure that business is built on it is going to shift and has shifted in terms of kind of value creation. But in the same sentence, it's harder than ever to stand out. Mm. Easier than ever to start, harder than ever to stand out. And a lot of our mandate is, how do we help you stand out? Mm. And that's probably one of our superpowers is helping companies really build a compelling story that the world will care about. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's a really, really interesting point because I am certainly seeing a a real wave amongst young entrepreneurs who are actually changing their desired outcome a little bit 
to focus on building you know, small businesses generating a couple million turnover, uh, which you can do so easily now using AI rather than going for venture scale because of the difficulty um, in standing out and the amount of saturation there. So I think solving that and helping your um, startup solve that is, is one of the biggest problems. But are you seeing a, a different type of um, uh, sort of flavor and a different type of appetite from entrepreneurs now? Or is there still as many you know, young, hungry entrepreneurs wanting to build venture-backable businesses and, and using these tools at scale rather than going down the, the, the micro-acquire route, let's call it? Yeah, I, I, I think um, you've got a lot of factors. The influence that social media has. Social media is our greatest tool to humanity today and our worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are true. If I think of young people growing up, you know, I didn't have the influence of seeing so many interesting entrepreneurs building things. Mm -hmm. So my like sources of inspiration and aspirations were limited to what I could see around me. For young people now, their world is opened up, Mm. which in one way is a great thing, but it also comes with like this deep sense of self-comparison walking away feeling you're seeing the 1% of talent, the 1% of beauty, the 1% of wealth. You're seeing people that are just full of bullshit, just propagating lies online. You know, the kind of hustle porn stars of the world, the the Lambo dudes, that type of thing. So you've got... You can buy their course and figure out how to do it very quickly, right? So (laughs) I, I think as a young entrepreneur, it's really difficult today to navigate these waters and feel fulfilled. Yeah. And like my advice and usually is, uh, and the best entrepreneurs I I know, they have a really good grasp of being patient. Mm. They understand the dynamics that there's all these new tools that mean you now have advantages that you didn't have before. The the cost to do things and create amazing capabilities has been just reduced drastically, which is great for young entrepreneurs that understand that lean into kind of these new technologies. But it has to be tapered with managing expectations. You you mentioned there the kind of rise of small teams. You're seeing a huge rise of like the solo entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. And solo entrepreneurs, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's fascinating. And I love that. And I'm glad that I suppose barriers have been, the internet has taken down geography barriers totally. in a way like the u.s i lived in the u.s for five years and one thing i and people often ask me what was the difference between the uk and the u.s and a big part of it is the entrepreneurial culture that exists there the aspiration that like classic indoctrination of the american dream you go get it you work mm. hard and you can achieve it there is something that's real and tangible mm. when you're in the u.s about the aspirations in the uk we're quite reserved self-deprecating we don't actually I think by large really appreciate entrepreneurship. Agreed. We have this kind of uh, almost a unhealthy relationship with it. But what I do think the internet is providing by removing borders in the world, I do think it's providing an outlet for British young, all entrepreneurs actually, to now see a different way and Mm -hmm. raise their aspirations. So like most things, it's multifaceted. There's some good stuff and some bad stuff in there. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I, I wonder why we do have such a cynical relationship with self-belief. And, yeah. you know, we don't like to big ourselves up. and We don't like to have that American style. Yeah, we're going to be awesome. We're going to take over. But genuinely, and, and, you know, some people will put it down as toxic positivity or whatever it yeah. is. But I do think that is so much to be said for that self-belief part. And I think <gasps> those who can tap into it, you know, they're going to go so far. And it's amazing what you say about the U.S. You know, I was out there last year. I was actually in L.A., 
getting a haircut and you know just talking to the barber you know what are you doing what are your hobbies well i'm doing a computer science degree on the side yeah. it's like everyone you speak to in the u.s just has that belief rightly or wrongly you know depending on how the yeah. system is set up that they can achieve whatever they set their mind to and for me personally i think if we could adopt that more and help young people adopt yeah. that it'll be an amazing outcome it's 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 you raise a great point i think it's it's a real cultural problem that we have that is is quite toxic and dangerous i remember in school like in america and again i don't have full context i didn't go to school in america but by large you know you do show and tell mm. it's quite the, this idea of being confident and presenting and all these kind of things we call soft skills but are really hard skills yeah. the stuff that will separate you and give you advantage in life the ability to communicate all those things they teach that from a very young age in 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 the american schooling system I know at my school, like, it was real shit. No one put you, you know, you didn't want to be a boff. You didn't want to put your hand up. You didn't want to try. It was mm. cool not to try. And I think there's something really toxic about this culture that we breathe that is don't try. Yes. Be a little reserved. It's cool not to be that person. So um, I don't know how we fix it. <laughs> it's it's a really interesting it. one. And it, it's a bit of a, probably a bit of a controversial statement, but uh, I had a lot of interesting conversations with people about this recently. And a lot of people think it might tie in with the sort of colonial past of Britain where it's like we right. outsourced a lot of our hard work. Okay, right. And, and, and having that mentality of, you know, we don't do work, you know, we, we just are, are entitled in a way, which I think is a really, really interesting yeah. one. Um, but absolutely, I think there is so much to be said for people to have, you know, more self-belief, people to have that that real drive and, and just the understanding that it's always worth really going for it, even if it feels like the effort might be perceived as uncool yeah. or, or the effort might be perceived as something to do with, um, you know, what, why are you trying to do this? Yeah. It's seen in a negative way, but I think there's a lot to be said for it. How do you, and you said self-belief there. Mm. I, I've grappled with this a lot because I, I consider one of my advantages, whether it's genetic or I just had, you know, really nurturing parents, I had delusional belief. Going yeah. And I mean legit delusional belief. Amazing. And, you know, there wasn't one part of me. And I remember my dad used to say to me when I was growing up, and my dad's Bulgarian, and he would say, you're mentally strong. <laughs> Weird thing to say to a three-year-old, but, like, I went, nothing will break you. Yeah. And it almost <laughs> sounds indoctrinating. But whether that was true or not, I grew up just thinking that and having that self-belief. Yeah. So I grapple with this and go, I was blessed to have, uh, have that maybe instilled in me or some natural, uh, you know, self-inclinations. How do you create self-belief? That's like, and, and that's the bit because I do think there's a huge cultural difference and I, mm. I will speak to US, but I think this is across many sectors. And I think that we would solve a lot of problems in society if we could just encourage a little more of that or create more of that. But I don't know how. It's super interesting. How? How do you do it? Yeah. Half Hungarian. Same <laughs> okay, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, so yeah. know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And 100% it is that. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting one. But I think there is now an opportunity because we are so globalized because there is so much you know mixing of culture for us to take the best parts of that self-belief yeah. of that um you know it is a, a level of delusion especially when you do something for the first time yeah you know, if you're a first-time founder you need to have a bit of delusion because you've never done it yeah. before of course you don't have experience to rely on yes you can bring in great people yeah. around you but you do have to have that self-belief but we could we could talk about this all day oh, there, yeah, there, are, there are there are five questions I'm okay ask good to ask everyone mm -hmm. um what's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome yeah I, I i hate like binary biggest the number one because um i i'm quite 
naturally, my natural inclinations are to be quite risk adverse. Okay. Genuinely, like, and it seems uh, it's actually probably why I started my entrepreneurial journey a little later in life. Mm -hmm. And some people, it's because my natural inclination is to to avoid risk and measure and, and try and you know, mitigate risk at all costs. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, if I go, there was a series of risks, what felt like risks at the time, and I realized they weren't time. So big one for me, I used to, I started my career as a musician. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then like leaving that and quitting that felt like a risk. So I'd given a few years of my life to being a musician, had a record deal, those types of things. And then like, for we we finished. And and for me to, to quit and move on, that felt like a risk at the time because I just dedicated a long part of my life getting good at this craft, and making connections and doing this. And to give that up and then go in a different direction, that felt like a risk. And then I, I was in a corporate world for a period of time for a large media owner. And again, when I then went to a startup, that felt like this anxiety-driving risk. And then it was in the startup having an opportunity to take that business international and move to a different country. That then felt like a huge risk, and it wasn't. It was one of the most fulfilling, eye-opening experiences. So every time I seemingly walked into a risk, I came out the other end reflecting, going, they weren't risks. They genuinely weren't risks. So they, so I, I struggle with this idea, what's the biggest risk I've taken? Because now I reflect and go, I, I, I don't actually look at these as risks mm. anymore. No, that's, they're just that's they're great. just change, uncomfortable change that sent my life in a new direction. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and I think often it comes down to um, sometimes people will sit here and tell me that actually the biggest risk they took was not you know putting themselves in that uncomfortable yeah, position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so really interesting one. Okay, what are you? And these questions, whatever they mean to you, whatever they mean to you, but what are you proudest of? What am I proudest of? Um, I am proudest of. Uh, I feel just, I'm really proud that I've got a lot of balance in my life. And balance by most people, my definition of balance is a little different. Mm -hmm. If you looked at how I spent my time and how much I work, people around me wouldn't say I'm balanced. <laughs> if okay, I, go on, I, give us an insight, go on. No, no, I, I, I literally do not stop yeah. as in work. And I know people say that and people, there's a toxic attachment to that in the world today. People, I don't wear it as a badge of honor, mm. but I don't, for me... I'm getting fulfillment and I'm comfortable doing that. So I'm really comfortable outworking everybody else. Genuinely, that that feels good. But then I have really good relationships with my family. Mm -hmm. I have really good friendships. So friendships that I've kind of accumulated from different phases. So I feel just so blessed. I'm just happy with the balance and structure of my life that I have. And I have so many uh, goals that I still want to achieve. Mm. And for me, I think that's so important. Having things to aim towards um, is really important. So I just feel, I suppose my greatest achievement is getting to, you know, 34 yesterday. Um, getting to 34 yesterday and going, you know what, I feel really good about direction. Doesn't mean I faced adversity or challenges like everybody or had bad things happen. But I just feel really good about where I am today. That's awesome and something to be incredibly yeah. proud of. And out of interest, do you find that that's something which has come to you since turning 30 because for me so i turned 32 uh, in a couple of weeks time yeah and i i was so scared of that 30 number when i was training i was like oh god turning 30 like this is this yeah. is gonna be brutal but genuinely since then i, I really feel like understanding those priorities talking yeah. about connecting with friends all of those things like i really feel like it's something that's come to me in the last couple of years is that or is that something you've always had no, you know what i, I it's a good question because I, I look back to 
18 year old me that's mm. like drumming on a stage at a music festival and going I was happy as shit yeah and I'm happy today and like so so I've always had a, a contentment or a peace uh, with myself but I agree with you you spend a lot of your formative years and I'll speak from being a young man you're like finding your identity and I'm sure it's universal you're figuring out who you are what you're good at what you know what you're not what you want to do You've got all this part of self-imposed pressure. So that existed. In your 30s, I think you're comfortable with who you are. You have a much better grasp of what you're good at. I think you've now got a, a level of balance around your family and friendships. I think you're much more willing to say no to things you don't want. 100%. There's, a, there's an inner peace with that. And I'm sure and I hope that, you know, I look back in 10 years and, go, and feel that sense of contentment and comfort in who I am, etc. Um, so yeah, I, I share that same belief. Yeah, it's great. No, I think it's going to only get better until 50. That looks brutal. You know what I mean? Turning 50 yeah. looks like, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> okay. My next one for you is, is there anything you wish you did differently? What do I wish I did? Uh, would I have done differently? Um, I wish, in fact, you know what? I'm going to say no. I'm mm -hmm. at peace because I, I think there's a contradiction in me going, I'm really good with where I am. I've got all these unmet goals um, and yet I want to do things differently. I would say I wish I re if I was to say a characteristic, I wish I realized that the decisions I made weren't risked much earlier on in my life. Okay, That was one thing. The risk taking, um, realizing or having a, a balanced sense of risk, knowing that the things day to day don't really matter. They're very trivial. You know, it's the same thing. I, I do a fair bit of public speaking. And when I first started it, this idea and the, the switching point for me to get actually good and comfortable public mm -hmm. speaking was realizing is just not giving a fuck. No one cares about me. No one cares about you really. To you, you're the center of your own world. Mm -hmm. You know, for everyone else, you're just a part of, you know, their story. Absolutely. So I think for me, they were they were some realizations, but yeah. Probably risk. That's the one thing I can pull upon. Yeah, no, I love that. So mm -hmm. I, I, I know, I totally resonate with what you're saying. There, so I did stand up for 18 months, nice. and and for me it was so necessary. Were you doing walk-ins? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, Open yeah. mic for a while, and then you know, eventually played the comedy store in Manchester in London. Nice. Like, you know, was was getting somewhere, and it all it all stopped with COVID. Actually, it was right. was I think uh, end of February 2020 was the last time I did stand up. But it was very much a case of you know I sold my first company at 26. Yeah, thought it was the shit. Probably you yeah. know started investing in other companies, and I was like, okay, I need to be knocked down a peg. Right, I need to just There's nothing you know, more humbling than a big room of like make me laugh yes and when they <laughs> don't laugh you are brought right back oh, down yes. i mean it's yeah yeah exactly but then you realize yeah you leave the stage no one remembers you in two minutes yeah and you know and, and and yeah exactly that i think it's so important to have that ego death it's so important just to have that realization that it doesn't matter and when yeah. you go into some scenarios they don't know your story they don't know if you've been successful they don't know if you're talented you were just yeah. you know in that moment you're very present what you're able to achieve they're able to achieve there and i think yeah. it's something everyone should experience is that that ego death in that way and be like it doesn't matter it's very it's very freeing it's liberating to get that sense at the time it's terrifying mm. It really is a, a blow to the ego is a very powerful thing. Yes. It drives us in ways that we don't like to admit. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Humble pie, difficult situations. Yeah. I'm all for that. Love that. Okay. What does it take to be successful? What does it take to be successful? I think foundationally um, being self-aware. It's really important quality. Uh, we talk about 
emotional intelligence, but being self-aware for me is a huge advantage because mm. I think um, we go through life um, not necessarily knowing how everyone perceives us, but I think if you can read a room, be really honest with yourself, I think that's really important. We have a, a group chat with our friends. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the roast. We say the roast never lies. Some people would see it as toxic, but we're like, really? We've got a group of friends now, six of us, that um, we're really honest with each other. Okay. You know, we're one of us. And, and some of it isn't nice. And you like resist it. You don't like to admit it. Two days later, you go, fuck, they're right. <laughs> they're right. And then you behave differently. So I think self-awareness, being honest, having friends around you, peers that are also honest, creating that sense of radical transparency that you're comfortable in, I think that's a good foundation. And then I'm not going to be afraid to say to be successful, um, you have to be really committed, disciplined, consistent, work hard. All those qualities, they matter, but I think foundationally those things don't work if you're not um, self-aware. Amazing. All right. My last one for okay. you is 15-year-old Ollie walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? Senior Ollie, what's someone gonna say? I'm gonna say, Ollie, take some more risks. Take, stop being so calculated in your decisions. Like, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. I'm a big believer in, and I've come to learn is, you don't have to have the answers before you make the decision. It's really important to get some orientation. And one of the best analogies that I heard, um, it was talking about, you know, whenever you're starting a business, you're starting a new endeavor, a new passion, just get in there, start some momentum. It's like riding a boat, like getting on, getting on a path, getting momentum, then you figure out where you're headed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think too many people want the answers. They want the rule book. They want to know that end state. And it, it's, for me, I, I wish my 15 year old self knew that just go, just yes. go try, figure it out and learn. And like in life, in the grand scheme of things, as long as you have your health, there are no there are no risks. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. I think it's such an important message as well because there is no blueprint to success. No. You know, you're waiting for the answer to say, this is how you do it. If you do these yeah. things, it doesn't exist, right? There's just what happened to work for that person at that time and yeah. you've got to figure it out yourself, right? Absolutely. Amazing. What would you like to plug? Where can people find you? Find me. So I'm relatively, it's funny, I, I be, in the last year I've become really active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So just Oliver Yonchev on LinkedIn, Oliver Yonchev on socials. Um, if anyone wants to get interested in Flight Story, Flight Story, Story.com. Um, our social handle is the same flight story. Um, so, so get in touch. It's really interesting when I, I started to create content um, in the last year. And what that's enabled me to do is not only just lots of new opportunities, but I've really started to think through ideas. Ideas are these fleeting things that we all have. But until you have to either document them in written form or create content, they just exist in this like half-baked thought. Mm -hmm. And it's been really helpful for me to rationalize how I think about certain topics and whether I'm right or wrong. So, um, yeah, my one plug, I would say, just start creating things, writing, that type of thing. Amazing. Ollie, that's, that's been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, my man. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.